The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. First Peter is um, where we're going to be this morning. We, we're doing this uh, a sermon. I, pro- I swear to you, this is not like a... Uh, you know, 2020 in, you know, clarity, vision, perspective, like any, like, plan words, like anything like that. This is not that type of sermon. This really is, we just want to take a moment at the beginning of the year to say, okay, if we're a family um, of Jesus lovers on a Sunday through the week, what does that look like for us this year, to be people who love Jesus together in the 2020? And so that's what we're looking at here in First Peter chapter 1. Um, if you have been through our membership class or interested in becoming a part of the church, um, you'll know that this is a verse that we talk about a great deal because this is kind of where we get our whole mission statement of loving Jesus together. And so um, I'm going to read the, the beginning of chapter one for us to give us some uh, grounding in what we're going to do. But this is going to be a little bit of a different sermon because typically what we do is we will just we'll open up a paragraph of the Bible, we'll kind of chop through it and look through what does God mean, what does it mean. Um, how does it affect our lives, and then what is this text telling us to do um, in terms of how we follow Jesus, or who is it telling us God is? Uh, This sermon is going to be a little bit more of, here's who we are as a church out of this passage, and then just some pastoral thoughts for us going into this next year. What does it look like for us to be loving Jesus together into this next year, Um, giving some pastoral kind of direction for us? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to start kind of looking into what this means for us together. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this you rejoice. For now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray for God's help. God, as we look at this word this morning and we consider what does it mean for us at King's Cross to love Jesus together this year, I pray that you would fill us with fresh faith and hope and excitement Give us grace for how we failed, but give us grace for how we can continue to follow you. Give us grace that we would see how we can be used for your mission, for Jesus' fame here in Manchester. In his name we pray, amen. Before we get kind of moving on, I want to, I want to kind of revisit this passage here a little bit. Um, I want you to read this with me because I think this is one of those most critical things we can kind of like skim over these verses and kind of think, okay, yeah, yeah, a bunch of Bible language, you know, God saves us, uh, it's all about Jesus, uh, moving on. 
But let me read this for you because I want you to see before we get into what does it mean for us as a family, we have to talk about who the father is, right? Who's the father of the family? I remember uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, who's your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, okay, I'm just saying. Like, I, know, I'm just, I know that I'm getting old now and that I, I know references that people don't know, but here's who the father of our family is. Blessed be the God father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's four things that he's doing here in this, this paragraph, right? He's giving us mercy, right? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy at the beginning of the verse. He has caused us to be born again, not because we deserve it, because we're, we flagged him down or because we voted for the right people, but because he is himself a merciful God. He loves to give mercy to people who are absolutely helpless and broken, Right, and then we see here in the second part of that verse, he is the one who has caused us to be born again. Right, we were just singing about this. We were dead in our sins, and he has caused us to be born again, which means there is something new inside us. Right, when a baby's born, that baby, there's something. There was not a baby there before. No social security number, no mailbox for them to eventually get spam in. Right, there was nobody there, and then they are born, and now they thankfully get a social security number, and now they get spam calls. Right. We have been born again because the Father desired to have a family in Jesus, right? And then we see in verse, um, verse 4, right, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Our Father is a blesser. He is a giver, right? He is a God who loves to give, right? He doesn't, uh, he doesn't cause us to be born in Jesus and say, okay, now figure it out on your own make the best of it. He's actually born us into a family that has a great inheritance coming for us. And then you'll notice here, uh, verse 5, who by God's power, he's talking about you, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This family in Jesus that we talked about is one that is protected by God himself. He has mercifully given us life. He's born us again in Jesus He's giving us new things in Jesus, and he's protecting us in Jesus. And so then we come to this next part of the paragraph where we ground who we are as a church. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? What is God doing? Who's your daddy? What does he do? <laughs> right? Who is he? He is a happy God who has happily saved us, and he is pointing our faith towards Jesus Christ so that when he appears, our hearts burst with the yes towards Jesus that we've always felt. And that yes towards Jesus is not just kind of like checking the box here, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, the beauty of who Jesus Christ is, is seen in the fact that he loved people who were not beautiful, who had nothing to catch his attention with. And yet because of who he is, his love makes us beautiful. His love changes us from the inside out so that we now begin to love him and love who he is and what he's about. We are bursting inside with this glorious, joyful love that comes from God himself that 
is not anywhere else to be found in this world, right? You'll never find it in an Avengers movie. You'll never find it in your favorite TV show. You'll never find it in whatever bottle you're drinking. You'll never find it in whatever educational hopes you have. You'll never find it at the top of your, ed- of your business and company aspirations. You will never find it anywhere else in a family or spouse or sex or anything else. This joy is only found in Jesus Christ because he loves you despite you. That's not to say you're a worthless worm, but it does say more about him and the type of person that he is, that he loves us. And that, then he brings us into his love so that not only are we just kind of like, okay, we're like these pitiful people who, that he's loved. No, now he's given us inside us this love to respond to him and say, oh, you, you loved me and now... I get to see who you are, Jesus, and love you and be shaped by you, right? We are shaped by what our hearts love and desire. And if our hearts are shaped and desiring Jesus, we will begin to be, be beautified from the inside out, so to speak, right? A, the, a tagline for the Holy Spirit, you're always like, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit is a beautifier of the soul and makes us more like Jesus. And so when we kind of, we, we're skimming through this passage, I know you're kind of like, these are random thoughts, Jacob. No, no, this is kind of where this passage is going, and the book of First Peter is then kind of laying out for this church that Peter's addressing and for King's Cross here, what does it look like to be people who are then shaped from the inside out, loving Jesus together, to be more like Jesus, and he's giving some pastoral direction. So out of that, I want to pick up out of a few things out of the book of First Peter to say, here's, some, here's two directions I think that we need to be thinking about. Moving forward in this next year, Jesus' observations, I'm kind of, I'm pulling them from First Peter in a general sense. We want to be loving Jesus together in 2020. So here's two things I want us to look at here. This thing is going to drive me nuts this morning, just so you know. Loving Jesus, how may we be people who are loving Jesus in 2020? We want to be loving Jesus as disciples, longing for holiness, and prayerful, spirit-filled dependence. That's the first thing. We're going to break that down. I'm going to break each of those sections down for us from the, from the book. And the second thing is we want to be loving Jesus together as a family of disciples, growing in friendships, giving grace to our city. So I think this, is, this pulls from First Peter as a whole in a general sense, but these are some pastoral direction and thoughts that I want us to be thinking about as we move into this next year. How is Jesus building us as a family of, of disciples who love him? So we're going to pick up here... Loving Jesus together, or loving Jesus as disciples, this first point, longing for holiness and prayerful, spirit-filled dependence. I'm going to pick up on this first part of it, loving Jesus as disciples. Right? The core aspect of what it means to love Jesus as disciples is to submit to him and love him and to be trained and apprenticed by him, so to speak. Right? Right. That, that's what it means to be a disciple. Uh, the, in, the, in the old days, um, you would know who a rabbi's followers were because the phrase was, the dust of the rabbi is on his disciples. Right? We want to have the feel of Jesus upon us. And the way we do that is by submitting to his word and following him through his word. So you, p- you pick up in this in 1 Peter, right? The, actually, the verses that follow just what we, what we just read, right? So he's saying, you love him, though you have not seen him. And how do you love him, though you have not seen him? You've heard his word. So verse 10 here of 1 Peter 1, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he pre- 
predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look, right? This is a very kind of big picture sense of talking about uh, the people who wrote the Old Testament, they were trying to figure out who Jesus was and they were ultimately drawing an outline of Jesus and then the New Testament comes in and fills in the picture, colors in the, colors in the lines, right? That's what he is talking about when he's saying that. So then you have verse, uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And here's our posture towards the word, towards the scriptures. Like newborn infants longing for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, when we kind of get practical here, this is talking about us as disciples submitting to God's word. And so how are we going to be submitting to God's word in 2020? Well, we're going to be finishing out starting next week. We're going to finish out 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we're going to finish that up in the book in, in May. And so here we're going to pick up in chapter 12 next week. And chapter 12 is where things get really rowdy because that's where all the spiritual gifts are and talks about like all that stuff. And I'm, some of you are just kind of like, yeah, the spiritual gifts. And some of you are kind of like, oh my gosh, the spiritual gifts. So we're going to be looking at that. I think this is an area where we need to be growing in as a church. What does it mean for us to desire the gift of prophecy? What does it mean for us to desire the gifts of healing? What does it mean for us to desire the gift of tongues? Right? These are good things that God's given us as a church to grow in who Jesus is, and we need to learn what that means. Right? So I know that stuff kind of like freaks us out, and we kind of like describe ourselves as like charismatic with a seatbelt. You know what I mean? Like We don't get nuts, but right now we've got a real tight seatbelt, and we need to get a little bit of more of the spiritual gift stuff. You know? So... Um, that, that's what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians also talks about the resurrection from the dead. What does it mean that we're going to be raised with Jesus Christ at the end of time? So that's what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians. And then this summer, we're going to pick up here um, in the book of Ecclesiastes and Daniel. And let me just pull this from you, pull this out of 1 Corinthians so that you see this where I'm thinking about this for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, right? He's urging us as a church to think about ourselves as sojourners and exiles. And that's not really like people who are like Americans don't really think about like, what does it mean to be an exile? But an exile is somebody who's been kicked out of their country and is longing to return home. Sojourners are people who are longing to go to their new home, right? They're, they're on the way. They're basically like, if we had to like, Canada's our home. We've got to go through... Vermont to get there, right? We will be sojourners through the, the wastelands of uh, the Green Mountains to get up to Canada, our home, right? <laughs> Although Canada sounds nice. Um, I just want to put this on our radar. We are, I'm sure you're all very familiar, coming up into an election year where things are going to get crazy, right? I'm not overly interested. We don't preach politics here. That's not our deal. Uh, we have the entire political spectrum that are sitting in our seats, just so you're aware of that. People from left to right, but we are, we are looking to be people that have a home in a different country and act like that and how we engage with the craziness that's going to, be, can, can, going to pick up, right? If it's already crazy, it's going to get crazier. So in light of that, I'll I just say this. As an interesting point, um, the New Testament writers, they were severely persecuted by the Roman government at the time, right? Nero 
for fun would uh, dump Christians in gasoline, light them on fire, and use them as lights for his midnight parties, right? Uh, that doesn't happen to us, <laughs> right? And yet, Peter and the New Testament authors here, verse 17 of chapter uh, 2 of 1 Peter, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, right? They don't really get into much political discussion. What does it mean to be followers of Jesus? It means to be shaped by his word and understanding we want to vote however we want to vote for the best of our country, whatever. But this is not our home. We are going someplace else. And Jesus will be the king there. So, in light of that, we're going to swing to the Old Testament. We're going to preach through the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is finding joy along the way amongst the life's hardships. So, this is, if you're interested, this is the outline of the sermon series, right? Futility and meeting, despair and joy, time and eternity, hardships and companions listening and obeying, poverty and wealth, suffering and sin, fearing God and enjoying God, living and dying, wisdom and folly, youthfulness and aging. Those are all very practical dynamics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They're wisdom categories of what it means to follow him. We want to submit to his word. What is, God, what are you teaching and training us and shaping us to be like Jesus in this? And then we're going to look through the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is uh, like the first half of it is all like history. And then if anybody's ever read the book of Daniel, you're like, you get to around like chapter seven and you're kind of like, there's like these wheels inside of wheels and all these like people with clay feet. Like, what does that mean? Like, I don't understand any of that. So the book of Daniel, the pilgrim's life begins, a pilgrim's hope, a pilgrim's confidence and humility, the justice and mercy of God, a pilgrim's courage. And then verse chapter seven, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, God's painful plan for your life. That'll be a fun one. Seeking the face of God, linen, lightning, and love, the church and the world, and the value of knowing the end, right? We're not, like, super big on, like, preaching, like, end time stuff, but it's helpful to know how does the book end, <laughs> right? Because when you know the end of the book, you know how to live through the rest of the book, right? You know how to kind of orient. It's like if you ever read a good book, you're like, oh, that's who the guy, that's who done it, right? <laughs> and then you go and read through the rest of the book, and you're like, oh, I can see all the clues along the way. Well, that's what the book of Daniel is for. The book of Daniel is basically to say, here's how it all ends, and here's how we as sojourners and exiles live our life following Jesus now, because he's coming back, and it's going to change everything, and we're going to look back and say, like, oh, now I understand all that stuff that was going on. So we're hoping to get a little bit more into that along the way. So just to give you a sense of that's how we as a church are going to be submitting to God's word together as disciples. And so the second category of this phrase that we're using Loving Jesus as disciples, longing for holiness. All right, you, let me just read for you the, the section after what we just read. Verses 13 to 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who, is, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be holy for I am holy is a phrase that's consistently and it's pervasively used through the whole Bible. Actually, it's one of the most quoted phrases. God is holy and he's called us to be holy. And I would just say this as a, as a pastoral observation, I'm a little concerned that the Christian world in general, just, we just don't talk about holiness that much. Now, I get it. Like some of, some of us come from like ultra backgrounds where like holiness equals, you know, skirts of this level and reading this version of the Bible and, you know, not drinking this and all that. Like that's not what holiness is all about. Holiness is all about being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and living in such a way 
that the alluring love of Jesus is attractive to the people around you, right? It's being different, yes, right? But it's not wearing crazy stuff or wearing a cheese head or, you know, wearing a, uh, what's the, uh, what do nuns wear, Peter? You're in a habit, right? Yeah, habit, right? It's just not, <laughs> sorry, Peter, our expert in nuns. <laughs> So I'm just concerned that this is not, like, you don't see Christian conferences on, on holiness. You don't see a lot of discussion about it. And I just want to throw this out there. Like even the songs sometimes that are regularly coming out from uh, major producers, just holiness is not mentioned a lot. And I don't say that as a condemnation, and I'm not saying that to put anybody down. I'm just saying it's a category that we need to move towards because it's not something that's natural. Here's a definition that I would put out there of holiness. Holiness is an alluring difference to our culture that's empowered by God's love in Jesus. And here's the thing. When the Bible says that God is holy, do you see what the holy God is doing all through the Bible? He's pursuing messy, weird, broken people, getting himself right into the, me- the middle of messy, weird, broken situations. Right? He is not like, you guys got your problems over there, get on your lawn. Right? He steps right into the middle of it. So growing in holiness actually means that we pursue and move towards not only the mess of our own families and lives, but actually stepping into our friends' and neighbors' lives so that they know who Jesus is, right? It's not a sequestered community. It's a community lived out among, right? It's why the very, we meet here. We meet in the middle of broken mess of people trying to find help. That's who we are, right? So I just want to put that on our radar as a category to be thinking about. How can we be growing in holiness together? And then the third thing that I kind of put in this first section of prayerful, spirit-filled dependence. Right? We want to be loving Jesus as disciples, longing for holiness, and prayerful, spirit-filled dependence. I, this is not maybe a necessarily a huge category within the book of First Peter of prayerful, spirit-filled dependence, but it is on my radar. So First Peter 4, uh, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, right? It's almost kind of follows along the lines of as you submit to Jesus as disciples, growing in holiness, it is actually for the sake that your prayers will be effective, right? That your prayers will be heard and are sober-minded, and are filled by the Spirit. This is, I just want to confess, prayer is not a strength for me, like in terms of like my, my regular life as a Christian. Like when I hear people like, I prayed for like three hours today and I had to stop because I had to go get groceries. I'm just kind of like, you make me sick. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Like I think I'm like, I might have like prayed for 10 minutes at the most or at, at dinner. I've, as a part of kind of this new year, one of the things I'm putting into practice is some, I, when I get to the office in the, uh, in the morning, um, in my, my job description as a pastor is to pray and read God's word. So like, I get paid to pray, and I don't ever do it. So I, I like put into practice of, like, I'm just going to, when I get to the office, the first thing I do, 30 minutes, is I pray for every person in the church by name. And I do that, keep myself accountable. Like, so just so you know, like, every day of my work week, when I get into my office, I read my Psalter reading, and then I'm praying for you by name. Because I, I want to be accountable to that. I want us to be a people that grow in prayer. I know there's some of you that are like, let's start doing prayer meetings. I'm like, that's great. I'm like such like a newbie at that. You lead it because I don't know what I'm doing. 
right? You guys lead that. We need to do that more together. But I think the reason I frame it in terms of prayerful, spirit-filled dependence is probably knowing myself and partly just kind of thinking through our culture as a church. Um, we want to have we, we want to have order. We want to be um, on mission. We want to be doing things thoughtfully. But, you know, the thing is that, like, as we've, we prayerfully lean into what God's doing, God's going to lead us into situations where we just don't have the answer. Like, God's going to continue to save people and grow our church, and we're going to get to a situation where I don't know what it looks like for us to consider growing, moving, whatever. I don't know what that looks like. We're going to get into situations of caring for our neighbors where we are way over our head because we're dealing with topics of abuse or whatever that we are just totally not equipped to care for, right? We are talking about issues within our city that we need to be addressing and getting engaged with. We don't have a solution to them. Or in your own life, how do I get my life in order? I don't know. That's why prayerful, spiritual dependence is a category that we need to be thinking and leaning into because... I think that's the way of the Spirit is that he puts us and kind of corners us into situations where if the Bible pattern is true, um, God likes to be the only one who can provide the solution, right? He, he, he wrestles you into a corner, right? You get in that corner, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, God, what do I do? He's like, I got it. Chill out. And you read through the Psalms, you know, I'm not going to trust in the, in, the, in, the, in the armies of men. I'm not going to trust in my own strength, but God's got it and I'm going to trust him for it, which means... In terms of our life as a church, this, this quote from John, does anybody know who John Wimber is? John Wimber is maybe not a name that a lot of people know. John Wimber, um, 1970s, he's, uh, he's the guy who started the Vineyard Church. Like he's, the, he's the guy who started the Vineyard Church. He had this quote that I, it has been kind of messing me up lately. It's neat and tidy in the graveyard. It's alive and messy in the nursery. Right? This is how he's talked about the, the mission of the church. The mission of the church, if you want to get all your theological categories in line and all the who should and what's and everything in line, it's really clean and tidy in the graveyard. I'm not saying we don't care about our theological categories or being thoughtful and careful. However, just like in the back, <laughs> back there, it's really messy in the nursery, right? The mission of God is messy. When we join his mission, things don't go the way we expected. We don't always get the way, things that we want. But when we rely on God and spirit-filled dependence, it's actually him that gets the glory for that. It's him who gets the glory for the mission of the church, not us. Who cares if people remember King's Cross Church, that name, in 50 years? I'd like for us to be here in 50 years. But it's more important to me that the mission of God continues. So as we're just kind of thinking through what are categories for us as a church, I know that I'm kind of belaboring this. This maybe just kind of feels like a bit of like a rambling through things. But... We're going to move on to the second thing I'm kind of I want to throw, throw into the mix here. So we've been talking about Jesus, loving Jesus as disciples, and maybe this is more of as a personal level, as disciples longing for holiness and prayer, prayerful, spirit-filled dependence. And the thing, second thing we're going to be looking at is loving Jesus together as a family of disciples, growing in friendships, and giving grace to our city. Can you, can you look back here? Um, we're going to go back to verse, chapter 1, verse 8. And I want to point out something for us, because in the English translation and as Americans, we read this a certain way. All right, so, there, though you have not seen him, you love him. All right, let's just stop there. When we read that in our, in our Bibles, we say, though Jacob has not seen him, Jacob loves him. Or though, you know, Mike or whoever, Michelle, though Michelle has not seen him, she loves him. 
But that word that's used there is, is basically the, the southern phrase is y'all, right? Y'all, though y'all have not seen him, y'all love him. It's a plural word, which means when it talks up, when the Bible talks about loving Jesus, it is always talking about loving Jesus in a community of other people who love Jesus, right? You can't say, I love Jesus and not be a part of, in some meaningful way, a local church, right? It doesn't have to be this church. It has to be a church, right? A local church is where people live out this phrase of, I love him, right? It's because I love him always means I love who he loves, which means I love other sinners who are broken and needy, just like me, who love Jesus because he loved them first, right? That's, that's why our phrase as a church is loving Jesus together, right? We do this together, right? Just, just so you know, as, as we're kind of thinking through how do we grow in this mission together of loving Jesus together, uh, River of Grace uh, up in Concord, they've adopted the same mission statement. Their mission statement as a church is loving Jesus together because we're all like, you know, two peas in a pod, except they're um, older than, you know, David's like way, like super old. He's like super old compared to me. I'm way young compared to David. But they, um, they, we are on this together, loving Jesus together. And that's, and so that's why I just, I th- loving Jews together as our statement for this year needs to be qualified as a family of disciples. So would you turn over, if you have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. I know this is kind of like, we're all over the place this morning. Chapter two, verses four to five. As you come to him, again, when you hear these yous in the, in the, in the book of first Peter, they're all y'alls, like, as y'all come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is picking up on this whole term of priest in the whole Bible, right? When, when the Bible uses the word priest, some of us kind of read that and we're kind of like, well, that's the guys who work down at St. Marie's Catholic Church, right? Priest, those, those, those are priests. It's not quite what the Bible means when it talks about priest. When a priest in the Old Testament, here's how the whole worship service was set up, right? The, the church was set into the middle of the, of the city, right? The middle of the city had the church. Um, it had a big wall around it. And whenever you messed up and sinned, you had to go and basically create, uh, offer a sacrifice. So, and the Bible gives kind of like if you, you know, lied about your taxes, or you did this or that, it gives kind of gradations of what you had to offer as your sacrifice, right? So it also it gives, if you're wealthy, this is your sacrifice. If you're poor, this is your sacrifice. So let's say you're poor. All right, I got to go offer two pigeons. I got to go kill the pigeons and give them to the priest. So here's what the priest does. The priest comes out and meets you in the courtyard of the church and says, okay, here's your sin. You've confessed your sin. Here's the offering to atone for your sin, to, right, to make right your relationship with God. Takes that offering. So it takes the bird, takes it into the sanctuary, guts the bird, kills it, splays it out, offers that blood as sacrifice in your place. So the priest has now taken up your place going into the church, offers that as a sacrifice for your sins, receives the grace of God, forgiven. They then take the grace out to you and they say, you have been forgiven by the grace of God. That's kind of a, a general picture, right? They come to, so they, uh, people come to the priest, the priest goes in, offers a sacrifice, gets the grace, takes the grace out, covers a sin, right? That's the way a priest works. It's called a mediation, right? And so when it says that you are going to be a priest in Jesus' house, 
what that means is that the sacrifice is Jesus Christ, right? We don't have to offer, we don't, we don't take up bird offerings here at the church, just so you know, right? At the end of the year, I don't take up a bull and we don't all just kind of like, hey, we're going to have a barbecue. Um, Jesus Christ is a sacrifice for our sins before God, but now you are the priest. You go into Jesus and get, and get forgiven for your sins, but that means also that there are other people with similar sins and struggles in their lives to yours that need the same grace. Are you tracking what I'm, what I'm saying? The very issues that you have, your neighbors and our city have, they need for us to grow in understanding God's forgiveness for our sins and his grace to change our lives so that then we become a household of priests who then take that grace and distribute it among the city, right? That's the picture of how Peter lays this out. So he has here in verse 9 of the same chapter, but you are a chosen race, a, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then what does it say? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you did not receive mercy, now you have received mercy. See, I just want you, people ask me, what's Cain's cross like? King's Cross is a weird place with a bunch of like broken um, misfit toys, right? You know the island of misfit toys from the old movies? That's what this church is like. People who would never be together, right? Right. We've got Bernie Sanders voters and Trump voters. We've got people who are struggling with addictions. We've got people who've got stable families. We've got single moms. We've got people across the spectrum of everything that are all trying to figure out how do we love Jesus together, Right. We're all figuring out the grace of what it means to be in a holy nation, a holy people defined only by Jesus Christ, right? Not our, whatever your preferences are. But what that means is that all of those other dynamics of you now become an avenue for the mercy of God to go through you to the neighborhood, go through you to your street, go through you to your recovery group, go through you to your workplace, go through you to your school, wherever you're at. Right? Now you become a priest who proclaims the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So what's the darkness that God's called you out of? What's the dark place that you don't ever want to go again? I'm not saying you go back there. I'm saying that you take that place and you find God's mercy for it. And then you begin to have this redemptive imagination. That is, how can God use the grace that I've experienced now birth that life to those around me. And that's why you need a community of people around you. Right, so, for example, categories of abuse, right, how have, if you are the victim of abuse, how does Jesus provide the healing and grace that you need? And then down the road, as you grow in your healing, how does then God change you into being a priest to those who've been victims as well. If you're in addiction, as God has healed you from your addiction and continues to help you fight your addiction on the road to recovery, how do you then become a vessel for mercy and grace and new life to those in the addiction community? If you're in a mixed family, right? Step-parents, step-mom, step-dad, mixed family, whatever that looks like for you, there are particular dynamics of needing healing and grace. 
mercy and compassion. And now you become a priest in that context. Maybe you're just a normal family and you guys are messed up too. (laughs) You guys need grace and healing too. Maybe you're a single parent. We could go down the list, right? And I'm thinking of the folks in our world. Each one of those categories are full of sinners, ripe for redemption and grace in Jesus, and now you're equipped to speak the language of their situation, to speak with experienced language in their context, to give grace and mercy to them. Right? That's how we become a, a, a family of loving Jesus together, a family of disciples, because we grow with each other. We grow with each other in finding that grace. So let me just kind of get, down, get some details here for us. I, this was... This is what you might call missional discipleship, disciples on mission, right? This is like, for me, like, this is my hobby horse for this year. Like, I am like reading like a beast in this stuff and trying to study and work through this, reading through, thinking through what does it look like for our city? So I'm trying to think through how do we study our city in a better way? But at a, at a local level, this also means that we want to be equipped. I, I want to be giving my time to equipping you for what God's called you to. So... One category that I think is largely neglected is discipling and training women for leadership in the church. So I just want to put this on your radar. We've been doing what's called a Kalos track. Kalos is the word for good in the Bible. We've been doing it. It's called the Kalos track. And so um, uh, the, the other guys and I picked five ladies to do this track uh, for this year. And what that track can tr- consists of is theological studying and reading, um, some assessments to understanding personal gifting and, and wiring, and then figuring out how can we deploy these women to be forces of gospel advance within our city and in our church. So here's the five ladies, just so you know, it's not some secret club or whatever. Right, you've got uh, Melanie, Alex, uh, Rachel, Heather, and Cynthia. Sorry, I wasn't going to forget them. And here's the reason I picked them. Uh, I picked them because I figure if things went bad, I wasn't going to damage them. <laughs> <laughs> right? If things didn't go well, like they're, they're resilient women, they can just kind of bounce back. They'll be okay. Um, but here's the thing. It's, it's going well. And what our hope is that I can run it this next year as well. So, uh, if you're a woman, right, that's first qualification. Uh, and you want to be in the group, uh, if, you, if that's something that's interesting to you, talk to me. I'd love to do another group. We're going to try to keep it to five. So if we need to do it the next year, like it's not like a selective, like Jacob's personal best friends group or anything like that. But it is because we need to be people who are growing as disciples, and that requires time and attention. So if that's something you want to be a part of, and here's the ultimate goal of that group, right? We want to deploy them, but we're going to be forming what's called a chaos team. And the chaos team will be ladies who meet with the, church, with the elders, you know, every hundred days or something like that to help us make sure that women's issues and women's needs within the church are being seen clearly and being addressed and being served. So... Um, if that's something that's interesting to you, talk to me. Like, it's a high priority for me, um, and I want us to be growing in that area. Okay. Are you guys cool? Can we kind of finish this out? We're, we're doing okay? We're not, like, be done already? I mean, the Pats lost last, last night. Like, what else do you have to go home for, you know? Like, <laughs> poor Tom Brady. That, Q, that Q&A afterwards, that was not good. All right. We want to be um, loving Jesus together as a family of disciples, growing in friendship. So here's a category I want to put in your radar. First, first Peter 4, uh, verses 8 to 11. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another 
as good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves with the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's the thing. I want to just put this on your radar, that in my experience in pastoral conversations, a small thread has come up, not pervasive, but a small thread has come up is where some people feel like, I don't have friends in the church. Not a lot. And it's not you. If, if you're thinking like, oh my gosh, I told that to Jacob in our conversation. I thought it was going to be kept private. Well, if I hear that enough, it's no longer you and me. It's, there's, a, there's a group kind of dynamic going on. I just want to put this on our radar. Do not assume that the people in the church are being cared for and becoming friends with other people just because of certain personality dynamics. Don't assume that other people are being asked over. Don't assume that. We want, to be, we want to be leaning into this, show hospitality to one another. Do that. Like, how can we be growing as friends? Right? Don't just assume that people are being connected with. Hey, when we show up on a Sunday morning, I, I love to see my friends. I want to say hi to the people that I don't know. Right? Lean into the people that you are not familiar with and get to know them. Lean into developing and nurturing friendships so that you can live out the grace. Right? Talking about being priests of grace. Live out the grace of what a hospitable God has done for you, right? He pursued somebody who didn't really, you know, like if it was like God and Jacob, it's kind of like, well, Jacob's neurotic, selfish, self-centered, and he's got a bit of a fat head, right? And he's bald, right? I shouldn't really be Jacob's friend. <laughs> I mean, who likes bald guys anyways? Actually, God showed hospitality to me. So now I have the grace to be able to show hospitality to others and become friends with others. Always be thinking through, how can I be showing the hospitality of God towards those around me? Because if we love Jesus together, that's how Jesus has treated us. And that together part has to include friendships. So I want to put that on your radar that I'm not saying this is a correction to the church or anything like that. I'm just saying it is something we need to be thinking through. How do we become people who are friends with others? Growing in our friendships within the church, and, Lord willing, with those around us. Because the rest of first, other parts of First Peter talks about, and when it comes time, giving account for the hope that's within you. So that assumes that you're becoming friends with people who don't know Jesus. <laughs> so the dynamic here of what's being laid out is becoming a hospitable, friendly person, just like God is, to all types and walks of people, so that they can get to know the refreshing, rejuvenating, life-giving love and hope and just fresh air of being around somebody that actually is friendly and is a friend, good at being a friend, and loves them. That is something I just want to put on our radar. And then we're going to finish this out, giving grace to our city. I think one way that we can be growing as a church and a witness that we can be providing for our city is becoming a, a family of unhurried, unanxious people. Right? Our world is designed around creating, cult, cultivating anxious hurried people that don't have time to be friends. What would it be like to give grace to our city, to be a type of church where we are friends, where we aren't hurried, where we're not anxious, where we are giving the grace of Jesus Christ in a personal, right? This is not going to get, this is not going to hit the headlines. The union leader is not going to write about us, but your friends will know you and they'll know that you care about them and that they've got your time and attention. This is, I wonder, a way in which Jesus will be growing us this year to 
to become people who are loving Jesus together as a family of disciples, growing in friendships, giving grace to our city. So let's end just by looking at this verse that we started with and meditating here for a second. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. King's Cross, though you have not seen Jesus, isn't he good to you? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he kind and gracious in the way he has loved you? And does his name and does his being not birth a new love within you to want to be on mission with his people, to know this love and to share this love with others? I pray as we go into this year that we will be stirred by the Spirit to think new thoughts of how we can be joining God's mission to love Jesus together at this church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we work through this passage and kind of think through this next year, that you would, by your spirit, birth in us a fresh vision and desire to not only love you, but be transformed by this love together. And so I pray that by your spirit, you would meet us now and envision us for the year ahead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.